Sam Russell, and you're listening to episode 59 of The Place of Sound. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And for those of you who have been following along through the past few episodes of the show, welcome back. For those of you who happen to be listening for the first time, The Place of Sound is a show that explores the theme of space or the social geography using sound and listening. We do so through a variety of audio media formats, so you can expect to do a few different types of listening in a single show. Episodes consist of what we refer to as audio portraits, or oral history-style interviews, that explore the topic of home. Soundscape compositions, which use everyday sounds to communicate the personal and social significance of a given place. And we typically end the episode with a short documentary-style piece that explores the place-based identity of the producer. The aim with these particular projects is to allow the producer to think about the places that made them who they are today. However, today's episode is going to be a little different. This is the third and final episode of a three-part series where we showcase some of the best projects aired in 2023. Each episode focuses on a different project type, and in this episode, our focus is on audio documentaries. If you missed the previous episodes featuring audio portraits and soundscape compositions, be sure to check them out on our website at theplaceofsound.com or on any platform you listen to podcasts. But for now, let's shift our focus to the art of storytelling through audio documentaries. These projects are a testament to the power of narrative, taking us deep into the realms of real-life stories, experiences, and perspectives. Audio documentaries, unlike other project types, offer a longer form of exploration, allowing for a more in-depth and immersive storytelling experience. Each audio documentary you'll hear today is produced by talented individuals in the Communication and Media Studies program at Carleton University. These projects were crafted together in Professor Vincent Andrusani's fourth-year workshop course, Digital Media Production. These pieces are crafted with care, combining interviews, ambient sounds, and narration to bring you a rich and compelling narrative that resonates with the human experience. And that's why I'm so excited to share some of our best pieces with you today. Due to their longer format, we'll only be listening to two projects, one by Hannah Watanabe and the other by Raquel Costa Korea. First up, we have Hannah's piece titled Limbo. In her piece, Hannah begins with a phone call with her mother and her experience living in Japan. She talks about her challenges with the Japanese schooling system and about her much-wanted move to Canada. Hannah discusses the theme of loneliness and running away from the places she lives in. Hannah, 
Over to you. Hi, my name is Hannah, and this is an audio documentary about what Ottawa means to me. I had the tendency to run away from every place I've ever lived in, and somehow I was led to Ottawa, a place that meant little to nothing. Ottawa turned out to be a place of growth while I was in a limbo of going back and forth between places. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that we are on and talking about the unceded and unsurrendered land of the Algonquin Territory. This is Limbo. I hope you enjoy. My name is Mimi O'Young. I am Hannah's mother. I was born in Canada, in Montreal, grew up outside of Toronto, and then moved to Japan when I was 23. So Japanese school system is... Uh, it's all based on rote learning, so memorization and repeating what the teacher said. They don't really teach you how to think, how to give your opinion, how to debate ideas, how to express yourself. And if you don't fit into the mold of the Japanese student, then it's very difficult to fit in. Not fitting in Japanese society makes things difficult. Um, so for you, you had a foreign mom. You were artistic and didn't really like that and get along with the rote learning education system. It didn't work for you. So it was very difficult and very frustrating. Um, and to move up through the different years of schooling, you have to take entrance exams. And that was not your forte. So <laughs> it was no. very worrisome about how to make sure you were successful. When I tell most people I'm from Japan, people assume that the country is ahead of its time and that it's futuristic or high technology. To be fair, when you Google search Japan, it gives you the images of temples, castles, and Mount Fuji framed by cherry blossoms, so it's understandable that you'd want to visit. My experience in Japan was quite different from what Google shows you. Existing in Japan was like a 15 years of nightmare and I felt like I couldn't catch a breath. I hated Japan. You'd almost only be successful if you had photographic memory. I used to study two weeks in advance for my exams and the highest grade I've gotten was 56 and the lowest grade I got was a 7%. My hardest work was never enough for me to succeed in Japan and at that rate, if I had stayed in Japan, there was no way that I was going to be successful in life. But at the same time, I was struggling with my academic career. I was struggling with my friends. Not that it's their fault, but all of my friends and I grew up hearing how beautiful white people are. So naturally, the 25% of my whiteness in me was praised and glamorized. I spoke both English and Japanese because of my mom, but it often came off as if I was a show off because I knew that the being the ideal Japanese standard would make me fit in more. I would try to be that person in elementary school, and I would still not have a chance to fit in. Standing out is never a good thing in Japan. You're always told to blend in. What we call in Japan is shudankodo, meaning collective action or group movement. This is ingrained in our system since we were in kindergarten. 
Though this isn't only bad and it can be good for teamwork, but mostly it encourages people to blend in and conform to the social norms. What you hear right now is the Shudan Kodo that we had to perform on our sports day. There were a lot of power dynamics in Japan that you were obliged to follow. Even if they were only a year older than you, you had to ask permission to do certain things, especially if you're in the same extracurricular after school activities. For example, I play tennis every day after school, and I was obligated to ask permission to drink water, sit down, move to the shade even in 40 degrees Celsius temperature with 100% humidity. Standing up to your authorities was never really an option, and it was considered disrespectful. Here's my friend Tamano speaking on her experience of the hierarchy at work. To summarize what she said, she said that she's not great at working and she's quite slow at catching on. And her senpais are those who have seniority, and they are typically very rude, even if you're trying your best. So they treat her poorly at work and yell at her sometimes, but she always has to respond with I'm sorry and thank you, as this is a form of respect in Japan. You are also restricted from being yourself and expressing who you are. Piercings and dyeing hairs are forbidden, and girls are forced to get on their knees to measure the length of their skirts while boys weren't allowed to wear long hair. If on the days you didn't get enough sleep and you were late, you were publicly humiliated in front of 900 students by calling your name. I was privileged enough to know a world outside of Japan and to be able to actually leave. I knew based on my mom's experience, Canadian education was a lot more suitable for me. In April of 2016, I moved to Toronto like I always dreamt of and I finally felt like I found some comfort in living and I had reason to be here. But in no time, I graduated from high school and it felt like it was time to leave and run away again. I moved away to Ottawa for university, having no clue what I was doing. I sat in a room full of people more than I've ever seen and it reminded me of how it used to be in Japan. Even though I lived on residence and anywhere you looked, there were people who surrounded you. I felt the most loneliest not knowing why I was back in Japan. I was in a limbo of going back and forth between Toronto and Ottawa hoping for some comfort, 
Something was pushing me away to keep running and running, far away from being in one place and being in the present. Perhaps it's my fear of being unaccepted by the people I grew to love in different places. As long as I run away, no one can reject me as a person. After four years of being in Ottawa and approaching the end of the university feels like I've reached the end of the marathon I ran for 21 years. Even though this marathon is coming to an end and I'm on my way to face another adventure, to go anywhere in the world, I won't be running away Thank you, Hannah, for sharing that vulnerable and immersive audio documentary with us. Before we continue on to the last project of the episode, here's a quick public service announcement from SoFar Sounds Ottawa, a local music events company responsible for various small performances throughout the city. So Far Sounds is a global music community that connects artists and audiences through live music. We bring people together to create space where music matters in 400 cities around the world, including Ottawa. Here's how it works. Three unannounced artists. Each So Far show features different musical styles and the audience doesn't know who's performing until they're on stage. Once you do, you just might fall in love. Curators. About once a month, So Far Ottawa welcomes a guest curator to pick the acts. The curators range from local producers, artist collectives, and labels. One unexpected space. From museums and boutiques, to rooftops, and to your neighbor's living room or backyard. We keep the location secret until the day before the show. We love showcasing Ottawa's unique local businesses and spaces. A different way to see live music. Our community creates an inclusive space where music matters so that you can get lost in the performance. So Far Sounds is a great way to discover new music, new spaces, and make new friends. Here's what a show can sound like. This next song, I'm, I love writing and lyrics are very important to me. So this next song is a very, in my opinion, a very lyrical song. So I'm not gonna say anything about it. I'm gonna hopefully what I wrote makes sense. So <laughs> the song is called For Today. Want to perform, host, or check out a show? Go to sofarsounds.com or follow Sofar Ottawa on Instagram. That's S-O-F-A-R sounds.com. Thank you. <laughs> And now, on to the next and final project for this episode. We'll be listening to Raquel Costa Correa's audio documentary titled, A Place Just For Me. This piece is about the ways Raquel's childhood home, specifically her bedroom, shaped her identity. Also through a phone call with her mom, Raquel recalls some of her most meaningful memories. She shares her journey with singing and songwriting, and that no matter where her home is, she finds comfort in singing in her designated room.
Raquel, take it away. Hi, my name is Raquel Costa Correa, and you are listening to A Place Just For Me. In this audio documentary is a story about sharing with you a space within myself that is part of my identity and has shaped who I am today in the place I am today. In it, I sit down for an interview with my mom over Zoom to help recall the best embarrassing moment of my childhood when figuring out the purpose and role that music and singing have had in my life. Take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. I think I was around six years old when I lived at 144 Large Crescent. This was my first home. It was a cute house. My room was quite literally a square, very small. It had four walls that were painted this awful yellow color that I guess accented the dingy beige carpet on the ground. I remember there was this large rectangular window on one of the walls and it looked out to the path that led to a park near my home. And there were all these trees and people and traffic that would pass by and I would just stare. Even at night to gaze at the moon or in the morning to watch the sunrise. And it was like my first stone space. I loved that home and that room. I think it was the first time I found my voice. But also the first time I was incredibly embarrassed with sharing a part of myself with someone in particular. Hi, Mom. Hey, Boo. Do you remember the first time you heard me singing? I think the first time you sang was when you were around, I'd say around five or six, when we were at Large Crescent. You found uh, this little gray mini boombox. It played CDs and it had a little microphone. And you brought it upstairs to your room. You ended up choosing songs that you enjoyed and you made them your own. You sang along and created your own melodies on your guitar in your room by yourself. You'd be up there for hours in your room <laughs> keeping yourself occupied. And you would just express yourself until you thought that the song was absolutely perfect before anyone else could hear it. <laughs> you were practicing and practicing because you wanted to do something for our Christmas get-together. You created a new song so that you could play for everybody on that Christmas. And again, you were up in your room for hours and hours and hours making your own melody, your own words. You were a little, little intimidated by performing in front of everyone, but... I have to say you did an amazing job. Everybody absolutely loved it. They loved your voice. Everybody was in awe. I just remember Uncle looking at Uncle Joe at that time and there was literally he was he was amazed. There was tears in his eyes. He was so enamored by what you did all on your own and I was just I was just in awe that everybody was so taken aback by you. You wanted uh, to keep it to yourself, but your dad encouraged you to to get out in front of people and, and challenge yourself and do it in front of people so that one day if you wanted to become a performer, then <laughs> you'd have to practice. Yeah. It was hyping you up uh, for that song that you made. <laughs> you know, we were, we were so shocked that you came up with that song, that you came up with these words being so young. Yeah. It was uh, it was amazing. We had no idea that you could do something like that. So your dad, he was so excited that he believed you could become whatever you wanted. 
So he said, you should send this to Ellen. <laughs> it was featured on the show. Ellen's <laughs> got talent. So naturally, I emailed Ellen DeGeneres. I found this random email on the internet and I sent a video that my dad captured of me sitting on my parents' bed with this giant acoustic guitar and singing my song, I Love You More. It's like two years now, and still no response from Ellen DeGeneres. She never responded. Neither did her team, the way that my parents and I imagined she would. There's this video of me floating around the internet somewhere, of me as a little girl introducing myself to Ellen and how much I loved her show, and singing her my song for her to like notice and hopefully feature me on her television show for me to blow up. And so how would you say it's part of my identity, like, even as a kid and now? I think you like to sing because it, it soothes, soothes your soul. It was a way for you to create and, and think through things that you were dealing with in your life. Something upset you, then you'd like to go up there and sing, and, and that just kind of released released whatever tensions you were feeling and stuff that you had to deal with. You had a passion for it. I think that'll stick with you because that's something that uh, keeps you calm and, and you enjoy it. It's not something you have to do with people. It's just something you do on your own. I think it was for the best, honestly. Singing my song in front of my family and people who are close to me already means more to me than anything else. I still kept the bright purple shirt my aunt got me that said I love you more on it when I performed at Christmas and I'll always admire how much my family has my back and believes in this part of me that I don't really share with just anyone. I am 23 years old living in downtown Ottawa. I moved a lot in my lifetime and had many homes but always sang in my room just to myself and I really only share this part of me with the people I form trusting relationships with. I didn't become a superstar or a kid prodigy like my parents envisioned. I am Raquel, a fourth year communication and media studies major who likes creating and exploring who I am through music and singing and to me music is just one part of who I am today and it doesn't need any validation from anyone. It's my space and it's just for me.
Thank you, Hannah, and thank you, Raquel, for sharing your audio documentaries with us. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Place of Sound. Each project on our show is a testament to the creativity and storytelling of the students in the communications program here at Carleton University. If you've been with us since the beginning of this series, you've explored the depths of audio portraits, traveled the landscapes of soundscape compositions, and now delved into the rich narratives of audio documentaries. Each project type has offered a unique lens into the diverse talents thriving within our Ottawa community. I hope as you were listening to the projects presented today, you were reminded of the power of storytelling and connecting us and broadening our perspectives. Within the complexity of our world, it can be useful to ground ourselves just through the act of listening. Now that we've wrapped up our three-part series, we'll be going back to our regular schedule. Future episodes are going to consist of audio portraits, soundscape compositions, and audio documentaries. One project type each. Keep in mind, these are a brand new batch of projects produced in Professor Andersani's most recent digital media workshop course. If you're interested in checking out more, have a look at theplaceofsound.ca, where you're not only able to hear more audio media, but in some cases, to see some of the original photos and the writing that students produce to go along with it. There's also a featured work section on the site's blog, where you can access some notable individual projects, and in the classes section, you can have a look at some of the work produced in each of the previous semesters. But in the meantime, stay tuned for more captivating audio explorations in our future episodes that air every other Monday on CKCU-FM and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll continue to bring you diverse and thought-provoking content that celebrates the boundless possibilities of sound, space, and the human experience. Thanks again so much for tuning into this episode, and we'll catch you next time on The Place of Sound.